a, a little bit larger section uh, than normal, but all these passages kind of go together. So we'll, we're going to do the end of Mark chapter 4, and then we'll do all of chapter 5 and the first part of chapter 6. And we're gonna, not, not, obviously not going to be able to read everything, but we will be uh, highlighting different things uh, as we go through. Let's, let's commit this time uh, to the Lord. Father, we again want to just say thank you. Thank you for your grace and the way you work in our lives. And we thank you for making the truth of the gospel known to AJ. And we give you the praise and the honor and glory for that. That we recognize that salvation is not a work of man, but it is a work of God. Uh, to where you uh, make sinners alive. You take those who were once dead in their trespasses and you make them alive through faith in Christ. And for that we praise you. And Lord, we pray that if there's anyone here this morning that remains dead in their trespasses, I pray that you would awaken them to the truth of the gospel. You would awaken them to the truth of the authority of Christ and how he has commanded all to repent and believe upon him. So for that, we pray this morning. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be with us and it would fall heavy upon us uh, as we look at your word. In the name of Christ, amen. This morning, talking about uh, authority that demands a response. Uh, I am sure that many of you may have similar stories to this uh, from your childhood, and maybe uh, some of you youth or other children could say this is true in your home right now. Uh, but my dad uh, is, was a very good father. But if there was one thing that was communicated uh, as a child, that when my father gave instructions, uh, he intended for them to be followed. Uh, and he intended for them to be followed uh, rather quickly. Uh, when my name was spoken, he expected a uh, sir. And when instructions were given, he expected a yes sir. Uh, and there were obviously a uh, few occasions, and I would say very few occasions, uh, to where I did not exactly follow through with those instructions. And I was not completely submissive to his authority as a father. And so when that would happen, oftentimes he would uh, come up behind me and grab the back part of my hair and just start pulling it up. And so I would grow about four inches in a matter of a second. I would just be like this. And he would say, uh, now I told you that I wanted you to clean your room or whatever the instructions would be. And I'm just like, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. But it got the point across uh, that his authority was something that demand, demanded a response. Uh, for, for him to give instructions and then for me to just kind of be indifferent toward him uh, had consequences. And this morning, what Mark, I think, is trying to communicate in these five different stories that we're going to look at is he's focusing on two things. One, he's focusing upon the, the authority of Jesus and then also the response of those who witnessed his authority. And so just as my father's authority demanded a response, more so than if my brother told me something, it was like, okay, whatever, that doesn't really, I don't have to do that. But if my father told me something, then I needed to do it. And Mark is pointing toward the authority of Jesus, trying to help us to see that we cannot be indifferent toward who Jesus is that there needs to be some type of response to the fact of who Mark is saying Jesus is. 
And remember, his goal throughout this gospel is, is mainly about getting uh, and telling a story in such a way so that people are able to understand who Jesus is. And he wants people to understand who he is in such a way that they respond in faith. Responding not just faith for salvation, but faith in living day-to-day life and that, that we are confronted with who Jesus is. So uh, we're going to look at five different stories and then look at the responses of these people when they encountered uh, Jesus. Now the first story is one that we are very familiar with, uh, most likely, is about how Jesus calms the storm. Now what happens here in this story is that uh, the disciples and Jesus get on these boats and they uh, begin going to the other side of the sea and leaving the crowd and the ministry behind. Well, they get out to the sea, and something happens. Uh, a little storm comes up. In fact, it's more than just a little storm with a little wind. It's actually a, a fierce storm, or a fierce windstorm, or, or a great windstorm, or a great squall. The point is that it wasn't just uh, a little gust of wind. That this was a serious storm that the disciples were encountering. And in fact, the, the passage talks about how the boat is beginning to fill up with water. So just put yourself in the disciples' situation here. That you are on a boat, and remember, we're not talking about uh, the boat that you would see out at the Outer Banks or something. These are boats from 2,000 years ago. Uh, So they would not quite be as big or sturdy as what we would consider a safe sailing vessel. But these boats uh, were going back and forth, the wind was blowing, and the boats were beginning to fill up with water. And what happens when a boat fills up with water? It sinks, right? So, what do you think uh, the disciples were doing? Like, oh man, no problems here. The boat's filling up with water. Uh, Nothing to worry about here. Obviously, they recognized that if their boat continued to fill with water, then they were going to perish. And so they look around, and what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping at the stern of the boat. Which is amazing to think about that in the midst of this storm and the boat going back and forth and and the wind blowing and the waves crashing in, the boat filling up with water, Jesus is asleep. And so the disciples did what I think I would have done and most likely what you would have done. You went and woke him up and said, wake up Jesus. And in verse 38 it says, they woke him up and they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So obviously for them, death was staring them at the fa- in the face to where they recognized that this storm wasn't getting any better and their boats were filling with water faster than they could get the water out. And Jesus awoke in verse 39 of chapter 4 and He rebuked the wind and the sea by saying, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And then He said to them, I'm so glad you woke me up because I think we would have drowned if you wouldn't have woke me up. Right? That's what he says. He says, man, that was a close call. I was so tired from preaching to those crowds, I was just out. And you woke me up just in time. That's not what he says. In fact, he says something quite amazing. He says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And my response is I'm trying to put myself in their situation and you put yourself in their situation of thinking, uh, what do you mean why am I so afraid? We're out in the middle of the sea here and our boat's filling with water 
and we don't know how to swim. Or if we do know how to swim, we sure don't have enough energy to swim in these waves all the way back to land. So what do you mean, why are we afraid? You were asleep. If you would have saw it, you'd know why we were afraid. But Jesus goes straight to their heart of saying, why are you afraid? And says, why do you still have such little faith? And their response is, they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So we're going to come back to this story in a minute, but quickly pointing out their response. They are confronted with Jesus' authority over natural things, creation, wind, storms. And their response was one of fear, one of awe and reverence, of saying, who is this that even the winds and the seas obey Him? Because when you think about people with power, there are certain things that people with power can do. They can command those who work for them or who serve them. As the pastor here, I can do a few things. We can, I can say, well, let's do this or let's do this. There's some level of authority here. And if you get too hot, I can go over there and adjust the temperature to make it a little bit cooler or a little bit warmer. But when it comes to, Corey, we just think it's been too cold these past few weeks. Can you fix that? Well, I have no authority over that. And so these disciples were amazed at the fact that Jesus had more authority than anyone they had seen before. And the fact that those things that we normally say are uncontrollable, the weather, Jesus shows that He has control over. And that the waves and the wind and the sea obey Him. So Jesus' authority over the natural things, the response by the disciples is that they have an attitude of great fear in saying to one another, who is this that can do this? Now our second story is starting in chapter 5 and goes through verse 20 and is dealing with a man who is uh, possessed by demons. And so Jesus and the disciples come to shore uh, following this incident on the, on, with the storm and they see this man who is living in the cemetery. And no one can control him because these demons have made him so strong that he breaks out of chains and he's cutting himself with stones and no one can even uh, capture him. So he's basically just a, a wild man that's on the loose. And Jesus and the disciples see him. And in verse 6 it says that this man saw Jesus from afar and he ran and fell down before him. And remember that he has unclean spirits or demons. And in verse 7 it says, And crying out with a loud voice, this man said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Again here, these are demons, an unclean spirit, recognizing that Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. And they go on to say, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. In verse 10, And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on a hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. And so Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea, where they were drowned by the sea. So you have in this account 
where Jesus is showing his authority over the spiritual world. To where he's already shown his authority over the natural world, now he's showing his authority over what many would say is the spiritual world and these demons. And they have to do what he says. And they're asking him permission to do things. And so that even the enemies of Jesus are under the authority of Jesus. And so that Jesus commands them to depart, and He sends them into these pigs, and the pigs run over the side of the mountain. Well, after all this happens, the people in this town are a little spooked by this. and like, what in the world? Who is this guy coming here and throwing pigs uh, into, the, into the sea? We've got to get this guy out of here. So they ask Him to leave. And when, they, when He begins to leave, notice in verse 18 that this man asked to go with Him. Because obviously this man who has been tormented by these spirits for so many years is now free. And he wants to go and serve Jesus. But notice what Jesus says in verse 19. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marvel. So that this man was confronted with the authority of Jesus over the spiritual world. And the response by him is to go and proclaim it. And as people heard this, what was their response? They marveled. They were amazed. They were astonished at the authority of Jesus. Now our third story takes place in the midst of uh, the fourth story. So you have these two stories beginning in verse 21 of chapter 5, going through the end of the chapter, about this ruler of the synagogue whose daughter is sick to the point of death. So he goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, my daughter is about to die. I want you to come and heal her, come and help her. And so Jesus begins going on the way toward his house. And while he's on the way, he's going through the crowds and there's this lady who has been uh, sick for 12 years. It says that in verse 25, she had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And that as she would go see doctors, it kept getting worse and worse and worse. But obviously she had heard something about what Jesus could do. She had heard of His authority. And so she says in verse 27, says that she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind Him in the crowd and touched His garment. For she said... If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. So as Jesus is walking through this big crowd, she's able to maneuver her way close enough to get to him. She reaches out. She touches his garments. And immediately Jesus stops. Because he felt power going out of him. And he says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, what are you talking about, Jesus? You're walking around with this big crowd. There's... Hundreds of people that are touching you. All these people have touched you. What are you talking about? He's like, no. Someone touched me with faith. He said, who touched my garments? In verse 32, it says he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. So you have this woman here who is confronted with the authority of Jesus over the physical. 
body, the sicknesses of the world. And her response is one of absolute faith. Not necessarily that Jesus would simply heal her, but faith in the authority of Jesus over His ability to heal her. And it says that she came to Jesus trembling and fell down before Him. So again, putting these three accounts together so far, the response to Jesus' authority has been one of awe and fear and trembling and, and amazement that people are responding to the fact that Jesus is displaying His authority. They're not being indifferent toward His authority. So after this woman is healed, Jesus is talking to her, and some of the rulers, or some of the people from this ruler of the synagogue's house comes to Jesus and says, Look, don't bother Him anymore. Your daughter's already dead. And so there's no need for you to come anymore. But in verse 36 it says, But Jesus, overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. So again, he is calling for not fear, not being timid or being cowardly or or anxious, but believing in his authority. Believing in who He is. Having faith in who He is. And so Jesus goes to this man's house. He enters into the house and the people are weeping and they're crying. And, and He says, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And so everyone laughs at Him. Like, what are you talking about? Who are you coming on up in here? We know this girl is dead. Why are you saying that she's just asleep? So He sends everybody out. He takes the child's father and mother goes into where the child is and notice in verse 41 he takes her by the hand and he simply says to her little girl I say to you arise and immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement so again these people are confronted with Jesus' authority over death itself And their response is not indifference. Their response is not, they don't really care. Their response isn't like, oh, well, that was cool. What are we doing now? It was amazement. And now our last story, which gives us a different response. In the first six verses of chapter 6, Jesus goes to his hometown where people know him. Notice what it says in verse 2 of chapter 6. It says that on the Sabbath, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard them were astonished. But notice what it says. Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and... Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So instead of not, or instead of believing, instead of having faith, instead of being amazed and falling down in reverence and fear, it says they took offense at him. 
that he took offense at his authority. And in verse 6, it says that Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. So in chapter 5, you have these people marveling at what Jesus does. And now here in chapter 6, you have Jesus marveling at the lack of faith by these people. But the point is that they still responded to Jesus. They got what He was saying. They understood what He was saying to the point that it was offensive to them. They said, we don't have anything to do with this guy. And they had unbelief. So looking at this account where Jesus is displaying His authority over the natural world, weather, God's creation... He displays His authority over His enemies in the spiritual world. He displays His authority over sickness. And then He displays His authority over death itself. And in all these, you have this theme of Jesus wanting people to respond in faith. And being pleased when people respond in faith. Faith, not necessarily that He's going to calm all the storms in your life. But faith that even in the midst of the storm, that Jesus reigns sovereignly. And that He is to be trusted. As you go back to what the disciples were doing. Yes, Jesus calmed the storm for them. But Jesus criticized them for not displaying faith. And not trusting in the fact that the man that's asleep at the stern is the authority over the seas and the winds and the rains. And yes, this storm is coming in, but we're going to trust Him. I don't know. We, maybe we'll drown. Maybe we won't. I don't know. But I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to trust His authority. And so you think, how do we apply this to our situation here January the 16th, 2011 at Redbud Baptist Church. I don't think that there is an overwhelming people, amount of people here this morning that are going to openly and verbally reject Jesus' authority. If you are one of those, my encouragement to you is to simply consider the truthfulness of God's Word. And that God has placed Jesus in authority over us. But my bigger fear is that we as a people would see things like this and we have no response. That we are indifferent toward Jesus' authority. Because again, Mark is writing this hoping and praying that people respond to what he's writing about Jesus. Responding in faith and trust. But my fear is so many times we view Jesus as just this good old boy. Or maybe he's kind of like a superhero. Or some king in a fairy tale. Or yeah, I've heard about Jesus calming the storm. I learned that story when I was five in Sunday school. And it has no effect on the fact of what Mark is trying to communicate to us. This just isn't anybody. When we come here this morning and we sing these songs about Jesus and and A.J. stands up and says, I'm going to follow Jesus. And we 
read stories about Jesus from God's Word. We sing about Jesus and we talk about Jesus. The danger is that it becomes old hat. Oh yeah, Jesus, yada, yada, yada. And we go to church, talk about Jesus, and then go home and watch a football game. And then we go to church, talk about Jesus, suffer through the sermon, act like I'm paying attention in Sunday school class, sing a few songs, okay, oh, thankfully we're only singing three verses instead of four. And then you go home. It happens, right? If you say it doesn't, then you're a liar. Because if I said it doesn't, I'd be a liar. So as I'm thinking about this passage, the first thing that comes to mind for me and I think for this congregation is do we care about Jesus' authority? When's the last time we read the Gospels and we saw these accounts of Jesus having authority over death itself and over sickness and over Satan? And over the seas and the wind. And we were amazed. And we fell before Him in awe and reverence. And say, this isn't just some homeboy or superhero that we're coming to worship. This is the King of the universe that we're singing about. This is the One who died for me because of my sin on the cross that we're talking about. This person has authority over everything. And we can't be indifferent to that. And just say, well, that was nice. What's for lunch? To where, as we are confronted with who Jesus is, as Mark continually puts before us, this is the King. This is the messenger of God's kingdom. This is the one who's going to restore everything. He's going to fix everything. He's going to bring in the new heavens and the new earth. Our problem of sin, He solved. Which is the greatest problem that we have. But He's calling for people to submit to His authority. And to live lives of faith. And the faith that Mark is talking about here is, yes, faith in trusting Him as your Savior, but faith everyday life. Remember, the, the critique of Jesus' to the disciples was that they didn't have faith in that moment. But as we face life, we live a life of faith where it's clear that, wow, Corey, I can't, all I know about him is he trusts Jesus. Whatever the circumstances is, he trusts Jesus. He doesn't know how it's all going to turn out, but he trusts Jesus. And I don't always. And I think if you were honest, you would say that you don't always either. But is there a desire for that to be true in your hearts and in the life of this church? That this church is known as a church who trusts Jesus. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen in a year or two years. Or ten years. I don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. I have things planned, but I don't know what's going to happen. But regardless of what happens, that there is faith. Faith in the One who is the authority over all things. And Mark is calling us to not be indifferent toward His authority. 
So is there any sense of marveling in who Jesus is? Any sense of amazement at who Jesus is and the things that He does and the power that He has and the fact that He reigns as the King of the universe right now? Or are these things just kind of dusty books in the backs of our brains? So may the Spirit awaken our hearts to who Jesus is and the beauty and the glory and the majesty of His authority. And may it be lived out in the life of our church. And that we would respond to Him in faith and trust, repenting of our sins, and living a life that can only be explained by the fact that we have faith in Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.